0: Hello, and welcome to Chris's podcast, season two. We're gonna sit around and talk about things and stuff this year, and some other subjects.
1: Hey, we all need to do better. We need to charge more. You need to you need to understand what's going on with your business. And I, I latched onto that, and I and I really believe in it. I think you you need to have. That information, and so that I want to help strengthen the flooring industry from the bottom up.
0: In today's episode, I sit down and chat with Kyle Hadin of Illustrious Hardwoods and the Floor Academy podcast. We go into his life growing up in Arizona and Chicago, and his eventual return to his home state of Arizona. Kyle spent a few years working in the world of reality TV until his strong personality led to a need for a new career. He switched gears and jumped into the world of flooring with both feet. Six years later, he is running his own company and finding time to deliver a weekly podcast on how to run your business better. His passion and purpose seem to have found the right place to shine.
1: I, uh, well, okay, so I'm I'm Kyle Hadeen. Um, let's see, go back. Where was I born? So I'm a, I'm a Phoenix, Arizona native. And I uh, lived here for like ten years, and then uh, my mom said I were going to move back to Chicago because that's where I was born and grew up. And when you're ten and live with mom, you don't really get a choice of where you go and what you do. So, uh, went out to Chicago, and I, I when I do I spent twelve years there. Ten. 11, 12 years there. I don't know. <clears throat> I forget when I left, when I moved back here, I moved back to the, the, the Phoenix in '06, So I would have been 24. So yeah, like I guess, I guess longer than that, 13 years, 14 years, something like that roughly. Um, so I guess my more formative years were were spent in Chicago. Uh, I get told I have that a little bit of that accent. Um, generally, like stayed out of trouble for the most part because I had a brother that that um, was just a shithead.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, and, the uh, God, dude, just always scamming people and finding a quick buck, drugs, uh, okay. just I don't know, man. Always in trouble. So like hmm. I, I saw where the the line was, right? And so like I could tiptoe the line, and I would never get in much trouble. And uh, so I generally pretty good, you know. I'm, I had a couple of drinks underage throughout my my youth, and. <clears throat> But never like smoked pot. Never really like. Didn't get into that stuff until I was like out of high school. Um, Grew up on a pretty pretty spoiled as a kid. Like not my mom was a single mom. It wasn't her that was that that spoiled me. Uh, I worked at a at a golf course, like a really ritzy golf course, as a as a caddy growing up over the summers. And so at thirteen, I made two grand. And my mom took half of it, and put it in a bank account where I couldn't touch it. But even still, thirteen years old with a thousand bucks, like what do you, what do you do with it? Like you go you go to the corner store and buy candy, you know? Like there's
3: yeah, for sure. I was selling golf balls and going to buy candy. Correct. You know, I live next to a golf course.
1: Okay. Yeah. Like I, there's nothing to do with it. And so like, I just kind of, I, I don't know. I, I came up with like unrealistic expectations of the world at that point. Cause I made such good money so young that I was able to continue to do that. And like, I only had to work during the summer. Cause as I got older, I was able to make better money. And so like my friends got jobs in high school and stuff. And I was like, what are you guys doing? Like, let's go hang out.
2: Mm-hmm. Like
1: I got to go to work. I was like, no, 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 no. Like, just come work with me over the summer and, and you won't have to work at all. And nobody wanted to do it, but you look, it's dumb. Um, so I did that, man. I was, I was pretty consistent at the country club from like 13 to 18. And then once I graduated high school, I, I kind of left for a little bit knowing that I could always go back. And uh, I picked up a job at UPS and was like out living on my own. And I, Um, worked overnight. So, like, you had to go in. I worked from, like, 9 p.m. to 3 a.m. And, Mm -hmm. like, 18, living on my own, working overnight. I can assure you that the reason your parents tell you not to hang out late at night is because there's absolutely nothing to do, and there's nothing to get into but trouble Mm -hmm. at all. And so that was, was like, my, my downfall. And that's, you know, I was out on my own, and okay, so I I know this guy who's older than me, and he can buy me beer, and then I got into smoking pot. And just, you know, I never did any, like, hardcore drugs, but it was enough that, like, it just it got you into trouble, uh, and enough to be entertaining, not enough to necessarily, like, to jail or anything but that all kind of changed because when you work part-time overnight and you don't do anything else and you're not going to school the better your life i mean i tried a couple times to go to community college and i'd sign up and pay the money for the classes and then just not show up because i didn't want to get up and go to class um (laughs) (laughs) yeah I, i started and stopped i started i did like half I would
3: say about you know, it's like I gotta take English again, another one. I'm done. I'm out.
2: <laughs> yeah, I
1: I dude, I couldn't even make it through like any of them. I just had no interest. I and, and like so before I got into doing stuff to make extra money with, like I started selling pots and so I was making extra money that way. Before I got into doing that, man, I tried to I, I went and got a part-time job at Target, and mm-hmm. I literally walked into the interview and I I told them. I want a job with the least amount of responsibility. Oh my god! Like, and dude, what kind of applicant walks in and says that? Have you seen? Have, have you watched that show Superstore?
3: No. Oh my god, you got to watch it. There's a character in it, Bo Derek. Bo Derek Thompson, I think it's his full name. And he goes into the interview and he says something, you know, along those lines.
1: Yeah. Well, they were trying. They were they were trying to get me to quit UPS. They wanted to hire me as full time management there because I'm part-time management at UPS and they've had like good success, like recruiting people that were in that position. And I was like, no, 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 no. I really like my job at UPS. It's, it's a career. Like I just, I want the job with the least amount of responsibility. Like I want to just have to come in and not think about anything, do a couple hours and be able to like go about my business that I couldn't even show up to that thing. I think I lasted like a month and a half (laughs) before I was fired to like not showing up.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I I was just so lazy. Um, so eventually I was like, man, I'm, I'm smoking all this, all this weed. Like, and my friends want it. Like, I'll just start selling it. Like I'll just buy bigger quantities and make money that way.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: And, uh, turned out I was really good at it. (laughs) So, um, I just, I I had a knack for it. I was, I was able to work with my brother who was, you know, always in trouble and stuff. And, uh, I was able to get it like really cheap that I was able to undercut the going market rates in in Chicago and still be like really profitable with it. And it was, I don't know, I just always have like enjoyed working with numbers. And so I was able to like sit there and break down like what I would be able to do with it. And
2: Hmm.
1: you know, people would want to buy an eighth for $30 and I was out there slinging them for 20, but it was the same stuff everybody else was selling. You know, she, told she had to go and buy yeah. it for like 160 bucks or something like that, 180. And I would, I'd sell it to you for a hundred just cause I could move it and get rid of it. And I was still making money on it. It was
3: that's, Yeah. That's the name of the game. So <clears throat> I, um,
1: got into doing that. Uh, what else? It happened? stopped
3: eventually though, I guess. Uh,
1: well, yeah. So that there's good reason for that. Um, what else had happened in the meantime? Oh, I got a DUI, so I had <clears throat> finishing work at three in the morning. We would often like we would sometimes hang out in the in the parking lot and and have a beer.
3: Mm-hmm. Well,
1: underage kids can't have beer because every state's like zero tolerance now. So back uh, God, how long ago was it now? Seventeen years ago, eighteen years ago, Illinois was already a zero tolerance state. And so essentially I, I got caught speeding on the way home and there was beer in my back seat and i had only had one, but I was, you know, I didn't even have one. I had half a one. I blew point zero zero eight, to like barely even registering. And hmm. uh, because, but because uh, I'm underage, I got a DUI for that. And that cost me a bunch of money and time. I couldn't drive to work forever and had to have people bring me and all kinds of stuff. Um, but so that kind of stuff and, and that at least taught me not to drink and drive. And then uh had a party one night at my, at my apartment when I was dealing and went around and told all my neighbors, hey, I'm going to have a party. Like, if we're too loud, just come and let me know. Well, apparently, people don't like to be nice. So the cops came, mm-hmm. and I told myself, like, earlier in the day, I was like, I should take this stuff out of my bedroom and, like, go put it in my trunk. That'd be a good idea. Well,
2: you, you,
1: listen to your gut feelings, people.
2: Listen to your yeah. gut feelings.
1: <laughs> Cause I was like, nah no, nah. I told everybody, like, they'll come and, like, no, the cops aren't going to come. Like, I told the neighbors, like, they'll come and be nice. So, the cops came and that turned into a whole ordeal of um, I wasn't even out in the main area. I was in my bedroom and the door got opened and smoke billowed out and there's probable cause and mm. uh, just to speed things up, it was, yeah, yeah, hold on. Let me, let me go grab something. And I walked out and threw like ten and a half and ounces at them and, and they were, they started smarting off then about how they've been following me and blah, blah, blah. And they knew I had it. And I was like, you guys didn't know anything. You can shut up. Mm. Uh, so got really lucky on that and uh anything over what is it anything over 30 grams in Illinois at the time which is just over an ounce was a class four felony so what was I offered I think I was offered by the time it was all said and done it was I could do like two weeks in county or 30 days of community service but they're like eight-hour mandatory days. So the sheriff there in the county that I lived in had like a special program where like, you know how you see people on the side of the road picking up trash and stuff? Mm-hmm. And that's essentially what you did, but you had to go and do it like eight hours. You couldn't show up for like two or something like that. Like it was a mandatory eight-hour day. And so
2: mm-hmm. we'd
1: go and paint jail cells. We'd paint the library, the courthouse. You you'd like you'd go around to different government buildings and, and do work and stuff, but you had to show up and, and do it. And so that was rough because I was trying to do it while working overnight. And, uh, man, hmm. the, just the, the hours, it was, it was from like 7 to 3, so the hours just did not work well. So it, I did not get it. Yeah, that seems hard
3: walking around all day picking up trash and working, trying to sleep somewhere. Good Lord.
1: Correct. Well, it was more like by the time I got home at 3 a.m., like I'd fall asleep by, you know, four or five o'clock and then have to get up and take a nap. And like it just the hours were not compatible at all. Mm-hmm. Um, So it made it tough. So I got a couple of days in, but I wasn't I wasn't making headway on it. And uh, just. The, the worst part was is that I, I had to pay my lawyer and I had a bunch of fines to pay. So, I, had, I kept dealing.
2: Oh,
1: <laughs> man. Uh, So, but as soon as I was like, I just got to get all this stuff paid off. I just got to get it all paid off. And so, I got it all paid off. And uh, that, was, that was that. It was just done. Um, quit hmm. most shortly after that. Uh, you know, and that just that was like my wake up call of I was looking at it. Right. And so like, I'm sitting in this cell the night I got busted and I was like, okay, I'm probably not going to end up in that bad a position because it's like first major offense. It's just weed. Like it probably won't be that bad, but I was kind of in this transition point of where I was selling like a pound and like, I don't know, a week and a half, two weeks, and trying to move up to like five. And I was like, that's going to get me into some serious trouble. So it was like this big wake up call of like, okay, you really need to figure out something better to do with your life than work overnight at UPS, come home, drink and beer and smoke weed and get into all kinds of trouble. Like, it's just. Yeah,
3: that's, that's not a I, good combination.
1: No, there's there's much more to do with my, with my life than that. So, um, that was like my wake up call of you gotta, you gotta get your stuff together and and really figure something out. Um, so that's when I, 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 you know, I was kind of going through all these things that I had done and I, in high school I did rollerblading with my friends and stuff. Um, and so we were dumb and jumped on rails and ledges and off buildings and, and all that. And um, I had picked up a camera during that time, and I always liked filming and, and editing. And that was when I was like, okay, so I can—I'll go to film school. Like that's what I'll do. I'll, I'll finish out like my probation and, and deal with all this stuff, and I'll go to film school. And then I also knew that I wanted to leave Illinois. Because I just I, I never really enjoyed being there to begin with. Ever since I had to move there, but I just I wanted to get away from everyone I knew and the environment I was in. Mm-hmm. Uh. So I was able to. Let's see. Oh, I got fired from UPS for drinking in the parking lot because I got caught by the wrong guy. So me and my buddy, <laughs> were, <laughs> me and my buddy were down there having a beer, and we get caught by the wrong supervisor, and so we got made examples of for that. So then I. uh see i have no job so but it was like the, it, was, it was the summer so i was able to go back to caddying so i i called up my boss there and i was like hey man can i like can i come work and he's you know pete hermes man that that dude is a good dude he he always he always took care of the kids that like did good work but were loyal to him and and whatnot so it was like it was he was like, yeah, just come and, and you're good to go. And so I was able to show up and, and at least have a job. Um, I was evicted from my apartment because of the felony charge. So that got, you know, the apartment complex got informed. So I got a, I got evicted out of my apartment. Had to move back in with my mom. Um, man, what else happened? So, I'm oh, she wanted me to get a real job because caddying wasn't a real job. So what happened? Oh, so I met a girl in the meantime, because, you know, there's always a girl. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I um, met a girl at a gas station, put a lot of time and investment into trying to get her to go out with me. Eventually made that happen. And uh, it was at the time, like the, Golf course was getting ready to close down because it was like winter, and so my mom was on me that I had to go and get a real job, and I couldn't just hang out all winter not doing anything until the country club opened back up, even though I had money. Otherwise, I had to leave. So, I was hanging out at this gas station so much, flirting with the girl, that she had gotten the owners to offer me a job, so I worked Friday and Saturday nights overnight. And that was my job. I was like, Mom, I got a job. This is what I do. And mm. And that appeased her, like, almost enough, but not quite, because she was like, you're really, like, half-ass this year. Um,
3: overnight at a gas station?
1: Two nights a week.
3: It's like <laughs> That's like that book, The Way of a Peaceful Warrior. You ever read that book?
1: No. That's
3: an interesting book. This guy, I think he gets a job at, like, overnight at a gas station, and all this deep shit happens. It's cool.
1: It was uh, – dude, I'll tell you what, man. Friday, Saturday nights, overnight at the gas station are very entertaining. I am lucky that I, I never got robbed. Um, the people that come in and want to buy alcohol after hours are very entertaining.
2: <laughs> I th- did
1: The best is like they're like, oh, it's okay. I'll Come on, I'll give you 20 bucks to do it. I'm like, all right. So y- you would blow their mind because I'd be like, all right, here's, I'll tell you what. I'll sell you alcohol right now after hours. But you have to give me my guaranteed salary for the next year, plus pay my fines, and give me money while I'm in jail. And they just look at you and they're like, "What?" And I was like, "You have no idea what I'm risking right now. Like, it's not worth twenty dollars."
3: Yeah, it wouldn't be. So
1: it's I don't know. It's funny. There's there's some entertaining people for sure that come in and and you get a deal with, but (laughs) it's I would I. It was interesting, but I wouldn't do it again.
3: <laughs> um, yeah, I can imagine.
1: I, and I was—I didn't even try very hard. I just did the bare. I like it's a really weird place, and I would always just everything was the bare minimum for me. I never like put in a ton of effort. Like I always needed to find the easiest way to accomplish something to like bare minimum requirement, and that was okay with me. So. And then he ended uh, up
3: in, he ended up in uh, film school and had to graduate and did all that. So
1: how that Well, well okay, so yeah, so I, I, I knew that I wanted to – I was going to leave, and I had met this girl and um told her, and I was like, you know, you can come with me or we'll do the long-distance thing. So she was, she was willing to come with. So after nine months of being together, I, I, I proposed to her. But I figured if she was willing to move across the country with me, I I probably should show her some, you know, sign of commitment. So did Mm -hmm. that. Um, Spent two years living in my dad's apartment down here and she was going to, she was going to UTI and I was going to film school doing that. Um, Got through film school which was at a a for-profit school. It's actually no longer open here in Phoenix. Um, It was, it had the worst accreditation I've ever heard of there. It it was no joke that we had a saying of these for degrees. (laughs) And that was,
2: that was that. And so it was
1: fun. It was good. I I learned a decent amount of stuff, um, or at least I thought I was. And, um, at one point, I got pulled aside by a teacher, and he you know he like really questioned my work and like what I was doing. he was like, "Hey, man, like, you can do so much better. Like I've seen you do better work. Why is it that you're not trying and stuff?" And I was like, "Look, man, I pay to be here. I work 48 hours a week between two jobs. I come here for 20." And then I'd have to do my homework on top of it. And I have a fiance at home. Mm. So you're going to get the bare minimum out of me to be able to pass these classes. And I'll put forth effort when someone's paying me. And just the look on this instructor's face, just jaw dropped. Like who talks like this? And, and, and part of it, (laughs) I was like a, I had a chip on my shoulder for a really long time, but I also like didn't go to college at 18. And so I'm like early to mid twenties as I'm doing this college experience. And I just had a different outlook than a lot of people. And I also had, you know, I'd talked with these instructors and a lot of them had been in the professional field and they were on second or third wives because they put everything else into it. It was like, I don't want your life. Like that. Mm-hmm. What you have going for you is not what I want. Look, you're not even in the industry. You're teaching at the sham of a school. Come on now. like yeah. you know, <laughs> You're not going to get me to work harder by trying to give me this get this speech. Like You have nothing to offer me.
2: So. Yeah, I
3: had a I had a teacher, and it was in it was my junior year in high school. Her name was Michelle. I don't remember her last name or anything, but it was like, part of high school where you had to like separate and be it's more creative part you know it was less yeah. academic-y and uh she she came up to me she's like you could do so much better and just kept smacking me in my in back of my shoulder and saying that over and over again for a few weeks and finally I started doing much better and it was like huh? she was just like tough like she never really like explained why she just kept being like you could do better. <laughs> it's,
1: like, well, I think there's, it, it's good to have people like that in your life. It's just it is very, very important. Bad. I remember
3: her so well.
1: Well, you need you need mentors, and then that, mm. like that's what I was lacking growing up is I didn't have a male role model. I didn't talk to my dad for years. Um, I'd been not brainwashed but my mother never really had nice things to say about my dad and so i grew up just hearing like shit talked about him all the time and it's not that he's not deserving of it because he wasn't exactly a a great father but it just kids don't need to hear that they got to be able to make their own interpretation of of the situation and so like i didn't talk to him for years and he was 1800 miles away never was going to be a influence. My mom never dated while I grew up. And so like there wasn't ever like a really good male role model in my life. And I, I think I missed out on a lot of opportunity because of that. Um, I, I did I used to sell stuff out of my locker in middle school. Like so the internet was, was I don't know, what would middle school have been? Thirteen, so like ninety five. So you know the internet was around but it wasn't like not everyone had it yet right so i found a way to you know i i made some money and i got i paid for AOL and then i was able to have the internet and sign on whenever i wanted cuz my mom did not know how to use the computer so i set everything up and had the master account and couldn't get locked down on anything but then you could go to the um you could go to the convenience store and walk in and grab a handful of floppy disks because the aol trials were on floppy disks and then you'd go home and erase the floppy disks and being you know 13 14 year old male you go find a bunch of porn and you you put it on a floppy disk and then you sell it out of your locker for five bucks a disk like (laughs) apparently i've just always been an entrepreneur and and had like these little things to like make money and and keep myself entertained
3: but so was, then you ended up like basically. I Go ahead. What are you saying?
1: Well, I was gonna, so there's like I've always kind of had that drive to do something on my own, but there was nobody yeah. to recognize it when I was younger, and it took me a really really long time to recognize it. Mm. So, it's man. Anybody listening, like if you got some free time, go get involved in some kids' lives. Um, I did I did Cub Scouts for. Well, I'm still doing it with my daughter, but with with my son. And it was very rewarding to hang out with some of the kids that didn't have fathers and stuff like that, like, and be able to be an influence in their life for a while. So it's important mm-hmm. to be involved with the younger generation and, and try and bring out talents in them.
3: Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. It's, I think it's uh very easy to have it get slipped by. You know, it takes, it mm-hmm. takes, it takes a parent or somebody in the family or some teacher or someone to recognize it and express it to kids. Cause you know, pretty, pretty, yeah, pretty, you know, I don't know. A lot of trauma can happen from a young age. Yeah. You don't even remember. Correct. It, it just sets you off in the wrong course. And, you know, it's kind of interesting listening because my life is very similar and parallels it a lot, but mm-hmm. it's, um a lot softer, you know. I would say. Like you know my Hi. my dad my dad was around and, mm-hmm. and but I wasn't close to him. Um, you know, I got I got charged with a DUI of weed and fought it in court and won. And smart you know, I, I definitely mouthed off to the officer in a way I shouldn't have
2: and Yeah, made
3: made my situation worse and um <laughs> Like, I, I am highly employable, but I don't really like working for other people. I get a little, like, oh, I want to go off and do it on my own type attitude. Yes. But I am employable. I've had a lot of jobs and never was fired or anything. I just decided I'm not doing this anymore. Because I just yeah. kind of move from one thing to another, and I just like it, you know?
1: Yeah. And it's like, that no matter what you touch, you're decent at it. Like, you can, be, you can be good at it. It's just a matter of how much effort do I want to put in this time. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's really weird, you know, and we it's what sort of, it's kind
3: of what excites you more. It's like film school excited you enough to be able to do it and accomplish it and then start working in it. Correct. I, so, so you started doing that, working in that after film school.
2: So, yeah, and then
1: I, I got go into on. doing. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I mean, I would take whatever I could find film wise when I graduated school, like Phoenix is not big on film. And so there were, like, anything that came through I would get on, but it started being that there was more and more, like, one-off reality television shows that would come through. And so, um, like, my first really big thing was I got to do Dancing with the Stars when, uh, what would that have been? I graduated in '09, probably, like, 2010. Uh, so Kurt Warner had just retired from the, the Cardinals as their quarterback, And then Dancing with the Stars put him on as one of the stars, and he didn't want to travel to L.A. and be in L.A. for the duration of the show because he has a family here, and he's really big on family. So they had set up a local studio, like dance studio, for him to be able to practice in. And so for, like, usually, like, four days a week, I would go hang out at the studio, like, 12 hours a day with him and... It'd be me, the producer, the dancer, and and Kurt Warner, Mm -hmm. and that lasted. He stayed on the show a decent amount of time. He didn't make it to the end, but, like, close. I I think it was, like, eight to ten weeks of, like, hanging out with these four people, so that was was really cool. He's super down-to-earth, really nice guy. Um, Nice. So that was like a good experience and and kept me employed for a while. And then it it was just bouncing around from like little show to little show. I did a, you know, at one point there was a a commercial that I got to work on down in Tucson, Arizona, where, no, not Tucson, close to Tucson, down South there. There's a um, skydiving place down South in uh, what is it? Eloy, Arizona. And Chevy had made a new car. And so they decided that they were going to drop it out of an airplane. So that was cool because I got to watch a car get dropped out of the airplane. And then I had to be, I was like the lowly guy that had to go to the spot where the car fell and like dig around in the desert, looking for parts of cameras that had broken off and SD cards that the footage was on and stuff. And to get that <laughs> back to them. So I got to watch this car. Like they filmed it a couple of times. So like, I think they dropped a car twice, and it just smashed into the ground. And then they dropped one, and it had a shoot on it, and so then that one like floated to the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was just all these like little one-off things. It was never like a long-term show. And then mm-hmm. uh, the, the housing market had crashed, and flipping houses was was all the rage. So. This, this show got pitched to Discovery Channel called Property Wars, and that was, like, that's what gave me, like, my, my big break, essentially, is I was able to talk my way into being the assistant camera operator for it. So I just, essentially, I labeled tapes, handed out media, and managed the, you know, I was just, the, the camera guy's little, little bitch instead of being the production's little bitch, like I I didn't have to take out the trash anymore and get people lunch orders and and things like that. Like I I just had to worry about the camera operators and manage the media and stuff. And so that was like, I, my goal was to be the camera operator. So I was like slowly making my way forward and uh, that, how long were they here? I think they were supposed to be here like six weeks and they, we ended up doing like, nine weeks or something just because it took way longer than they thought or something. Mm-hmm. So that was the, that was the first season of that. Um, oh, that job saved my house. So i had gotten a, a letter from the, I wasn't paying my bills cause I wasn't working enough. So, cause there just wasn't enough like production work coming through that I was getting hired on. And so we, we had moved out of my dad's house while we were still, while I was still in school mm-hmm. and uh, bought a, a home at a fairly decent price. I I watched it go way lower over the next couple of years, but um, I wasn't paying my mortgage. I wasn't paying my HOA, but I was keeping my phone bill. Like I paid my phone, my water, my electric and my internet so that I could still have, like I could look for more work. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that job saved my house because I got exactly enough money to be able to pay the mortgage off and the, the HOA fees, like the week a week or two before they were going to actually like start the foreclosure foreclosure proceedings, Hmm. And then I was broke again and right back in the same boat that I just put myself in. Like, um, I can't pay my bills anymore.
3: So. um, Roller coastery, huh?
1: A little bit, but it was, it was one of those things, like a a lot of the kids, like some of the kids that I'd gone to film school with were still living in town at the time that not, not everyone left. And they were like, how do you do it, man? Like, how do you find all these jobs and do them? Because they all had, like, regular nine-to-five jobs, and they couldn't figure out what I was doing. And I was like, to be honest with you, I don't pay my bills. And they were like, what? You're crazy. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't pay my bills. I was like, what are they going to do, foreclose on me in this, like, environment? But they all lived in apartments, right? So you don't pay Mm -hmm. your your rent for one month in an apartment, and you're getting evicted, like, immediately. So they didn't have that option. Um, I was just – it was – I was able to gamble everything, right? It was either going to work or it wasn't, and it, it ended up working out. So, um, Property Wars went away after the first season, and I was able to – I probably, you know, found other little things to, to work on. If you go on IMDB and you look up my name, you can see a bunch of shows that I, I, I had worked on, and there mm-hmm. are some, like, one-off little little things on there. Um,
2: so, the reality the top... show
3: revolution. Do what? And so the reality show revolution that we have, yeah. it's, it's everywhere with all these shows. Well,
1: There's they're so really, many. There's so fun, fun, actually. They're, they they cost pennies to make compared to a scripted show. Just yeah, I bet. It's so – it's ridiculous. Um, So I've been able to keep myself busy. Property Wars ended up getting picked up for a second season, and – but they were going to do, what did we do, like 24 episodes or something like that? It was it was a lot. They, they came back and they were out here for nine months shooting. Hmm. So I was able to get my job back as the assistant camera operator, but I had also, with the help of the lead camera operator, director of photography for the show, he was like, let Kyle shoot on the days that we need two camera operators. So I was able to like bounce back and forth between titles depending on what day it was. Cause some days it would just be like, go out and shoot B roll or shoot interviews and they just need the one camera operator. So I'd be the assistant camera on that day. And then they, mm-hmm. you know, there was the days that we'd actually shoot inside the houses and mm-hmm. I would get to be the second camera operator on that day. So mm-hmm. that was like, I finally made it right. I, I spent a couple of years, out of school trying to do this and you just, you shouldn't have been able to do it in Arizona. I just got really lucky with the opportunities that I was presented with, but I guess it also goes to, I finally had like a drive and a, and a work ethic for something.
3: Yeah. You were I'm jumping wondering. on opportunities and capitalizing and mouthing off. Enough, you know?
1: uh, no, there's definitely still mouthing off. Cause that, uh. that, that'll, that'll come up.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um,
1: So that that led me, the the lady that was the production manager for that show lives in Hoboken, New Jersey. And uh, we had gotten to know each other really well over like that nine months. And so the show was going to end. She was going to go back and she was going to be put by the production company onto another show. And I was like, can you get me on it? Can I come out and stay with you at at your apartment in Hoboken? And she was like, sure. Like, "I'll, I'll see what I can do. So she was able to make that work. So now I, I go out to Jersey, New York, and, and I'm working on this. What was it? It started with a... We did some really stupid food show that didn't go anywhere. And then there was a a pilot for a like remodel show that was complete garbage and never got picked up. Um, but then that led into they were the production company was just getting into the start of 90 day fiance, which has been on TLC for like years now. Mm -hmm. And the lady that was going to be in charge of that show had to go and do an interview with the guy from the first season in Indiana, but she's not great at cameras and stuff. So they were like, here, take Kyle with you. Like it'll, it'll, he'll do all the stuff for you.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, so I got to go do that. And the way they had sent the equipment was that like the equipment we had was, was garbage. And the, I think we only had, maybe they only sent us with two cards and each card could record for like 30 minutes, (laughs) but it would take like 25 minutes to download the card. So there wasn't really like a big window of being able to keep these cards going in seamlessly. Yeah, um, and I, I'm just, I was able to sit there and be like, okay, I got to do this and this, and like keep everything organized and take my notes that they wanted, and like, I did a really good job, and she was very impressed. So I was then offered the assistant camera position for Ninety Day Fiance, which was not supposed to be a traveling position. They were supposed to hire local in every city but she went to bat for me and said this kid's really good like I have to have them Mm -hmm. so I got hooked up with with that position and I I got to travel around and uh, went to where were we I mean I started getting flown all over the country to, to work on this show and driving across the country and it was fun. Like I was finally doing what I, I wanted to do and I wasn't stuck in Phoenix. Like I was, I was out and I'd, I'd be gone for like a week and then I'd be home for, you know, four or five days and I'd go out back on the road for a week. It, it was, it was, it was convenient. It was fun. I didn't have to pay for any of it. Um, it was, I was getting paid well. So there was actually like money in the account and like for once I wasn't struggling paycheck to paycheck. I wasn't on like government
2: assistance.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I got really lucky that I never missed anything big with my with my kid at that point. we had my son um towards the end of my film film career. My wife was pregnant and then we had um our daughter but I never missed a birthday like i I never really missed like a big event like I got really lucky with it um I know lots I'm of guys cool. in the industry that you know they'll be put on a show for like eight weeks straight. And in that time, you know, the kid starts talking or walking or you're missing baseball games with them, you know, like there's just you're Mm -hmm. not able to participate. So um, did the 90 day fiance thing that went really well. And then uh, the production company, the, the lady that was running 90 day fiance, she used to work for, they did teen mom for MTV. And they were like, hey, we're going to reboot this thing. So then I, I moved over and I was working on Team Mom OG for MTV for like the first season, first two seasons of it. But the, the calls that I was getting started to become like less and less. And it's because I, I, I still had a very pessimistic attitude. Like I'm just pessimistic by nature. And I don't like, if I think you're an idiot, I'll probably tell you you're an idiot. If I have something to say, like, I'm going to say it even when I mm-hmm. shouldn't. And people, it was just starting to wear thin on people. So they didn't want me around on the crew anymore. And the, the people that had been on the original Team Mom were now on that show, right? So they'd known each other for years and years. Mm-hmm. So I was like an outsider to it. And I just never really, like, I just never really fit in with them. I didn't really enjoy it. And I it takes a really interesting person to participate in reality television, in my opinion. You have to have like very gray morals. It's 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 very wishy washy because there's a lot of, in my opinion, like manipulative things that happen to the to the cast in order to get what you want out of them, and it just it never mm-hmm. sat right with me. So. There was there was that too, um, so eventually yeah, I, you know,
3: that.
1: I, I just uh wasn't getting called anymore, and I, I had to find a way to make some money.
3: <laughs> so and then you know what?
1: That's that's how I got into wood flooring and have my own flooring installation business now.
3: Really? Just so you just, you, so you just kind of were like it was like supplemental income almost initially.
1: Uh. Well, I I found a job working for, like, a GC at one point while I wasn't getting, like, a lot of film work, and I could, like, work for him whenever I wanted, mm-hmm. but, you know, once I, like, finally was not getting any calls anymore, like, I really needed to find something to do. You had to switch and gears. So, yeah, I had to, like, okay, I need a new career. Like, what do I want to do? And so I started thinking about all the things that I enjoyed doing and would actually, like, okay, what can I... What skills do I have that I can get paid with?
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so I took wood shop in middle school and high school, and I always really enjoyed, like, working with wood. So
2: I was mm-hmm. like, okay,
1: what can I do in Phoenix working with wood? And I was like, okay, I could be a framer. I was like, no, I don't want to be outside when it's 123 degrees in the middle of summer, like framing a house. That does not sound enjoyable. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh,
1: I could work at a cabinet shop no, I don't want to work at a cabinet shop because they're just going to give me a set of plans and they're going to want me to make the same cabinet for a week straight. I'm just going to keep popping it out over and over and over. Like that's, <laughs> that's not like I've done the i I've sat in a cubicle for a different job that I had. I can't do it. I'm not. No. Um, so I kept, I kept running through all these different things that, you know, you could do woodworking and finally I was like, Oh, wood floors. Like I can do that. Sure. So I, I found that uh, Arizona has licensed contractors and that there's a registry of them. And so I just typed, I think I just typed wood flooring in or something like that. And all of the, like this list of people came up. And so I cold called about 30 contractors saying, hey, this is my name. This is what I want to do. This is my experience level. If you're looking to hire an apprentice, let me know. Two guys called me back. I worked for both those companies. Um, I was very forward with both of them as I worked for them, telling them that I knew I only needed two years experience before I could get licensed on my own. And then that's what I would be doing. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. So that Mm -hmm. was this June will be six years ago that I started. And I've been on my own for like three and a half of it. So that was, and that's, that's been the journey of like learning that I was an entrepreneur. Like I knew when I did this, like after the film thing, cause even when I was doing the film thing, like I, they tend 90, when they should, because it's another industry that's just plagued by employee misclassification.
3: Yeah. But that.
1: I still had to go and find all of my own work, right? Like even though these people were telling me what to do during the day, like I had to find the production to apply to. I had to do the interview to get the to get the job. Like it just it all started to kind of click that all these little things I had done through my life to like earn me money and, and running a like small time business, right? Like, oh, I'm good at this. I should do this. And so that's why I knew like, okay, I'm gonna get my two years experience and I'll just do it on my own because then I don't have to work for anybody. There's no i bo- am I'm I'm my own boss. What am I gonna do? Fire myself? Or mm-hmm. let me I fire myself a lot. I just hire myself back every morning. So Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and it's 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 different, right? Like I can the reason I, I like flooring is because I'm usually out of a house fairly quickly. I I might be there a day. I might be there like a week. Projects that last over five days start driving me nuts. They get a little old and repetitive I go to the same place too long. But I
2: can yeah. Quiet.
3: I can. Or... I that's about that's about two and a half three weeks for me because you know sometimes we're in there for that long and I know it's gonna be that long. long yeah. But yeah, when it gets to like a month, I'm just like, why are we still here? Correct. Unless it's a massive project and you know you're gonna be there, but it's like uh, at a certain point you're like. Can we finish all this little stuff and leave? <laughs> Correct. It's just because you never want to ask for your last chunk of money until you're totally done. Well, I, see, I don't even,
1: I don't even get paid until I'm all done. To be honest, yeah. if I had like a big, long, really long project, I would set up some payment terms. But usually, like I said, I'm like five days is is like a good normal project for me with a lot of two to three day projects in there, probably.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) but you're in and out so fast. Like I can be anybody's friend for a couple of days.
3: Yeah.
1: And it's I generally like, like I do like my clients. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not saying like I'm putting on a face to like get through it. Like I get a pick who I work for, which is also another really good benefit to it. But Mm -hmm. there's when you have to show up and you deal with the same people for a really long time, like I just don't, that situation well I never have and so being able yeah. to like go through new people all the time and different areas and environments and things like that it just fits my personality a lot better
3: yeah no I can relate to that it's, it's, it's uh new and fresh and you meet a lot of interesting people like yeah. it's just you know and you get all these connections that have nothing to do with flooring, which are really great, so it's fun.
1: Yeah, and I, I mean, that's one of my favorite parts is, like, I just really enjoy sitting down and talking with my clients and getting to know them. Like, who are you hmm. and how did you get to where you are, you know? I've met I met a dude that is now the, like, district manager for Macy's over, like, his district's, like, six states or something like that he started as the dude that would come in after high school and fold the shirts.
3: Nice.
1: So he, he like he just, they, he worked his way up from the bottom. Yeah. Um, I met a couple of people like that. I met a guy that works for like a bigger, like construction rental equipment company, like the, the big construction equipment and uh, same thing, man. He started in the yard and now he's like a, a senior vice president of, a division so it's it's really cool to like sit there and get to hear other people's stories and how they got to where they are
2: yeah
3: well it seems like a good segue into this question kind of can span like your you know, I guess i just talk about flooring because we t- just talk about gratifying stuff within flooring but like what do you find most gratifying about your kind of situation and how you've gotten to it in life
2: um I think that I,
1: like, I I don't really find installing flooring gratifying. Like, it's, it's fun. Like, there's parts of it I really do enjoy and that are gratifying. But overall, I think it's that <clears throat> the control I have. Like, I guess I'm just a control freak. <laughs> so it's it's nice being able to, like, essentially I kind of have a machine now. Like, if I put in effort into getting projects, then projects come to me. I bid them. I, I choose what I want to work for and you either accept that or you don't. And then I, I, I work for the people that want to work with me. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's nice having the control that I can, I, I can make a good living. I can provide for my family. I can have little extras in life. And I don't have to do it on somebody else's rules. Like I get to create a set of rules to follow.
3: Yeah, having a lot of, um, you know, hands-on, you know, of, of your life. Basically, you have a lot of control of your life when you're self-employed, but you, with that control, you have a lot of responsibility. Yes. Which, um, yeah, like, what do you find the most challenging uh, about, you know, because I, I saw your post you made the other day, which was very, you know,
1: refreshing. And, uh... uh, yeah. I mean, look, I'll, I'll admit it. Like I've been like super depressed lately and, uh, it's, it's nothing to be ashamed of. I'm like, I'm just at a, at a point in my business where I'm, I'm struggling to scale it. Like I mm. have a really good system for finding work. I have a really solid system for getting the floors installed so I don't get called back and they, they end up being successful and clients are happy and they love leaving reviews have a great system for being able to procure products and make extra money selling products. Like everything's in place
2: Mm -hmm.
1: minus the employees. And that's been like the the more and more people I talk to is the, the employee factor is the hardest factor in in any business that I can gather.
3: Yep. We're all sitting in the same boat. So
1: I like, I, I really want to get myself off of the floor and managing the business more instead of being the guy that does the business. Yeah. And I just like, I can't get over this hump to find the first person to build around. It's not
3: easy. You know, like I have two people that, you know, work with me and, you know, for the company and it's a huge relief. I was beating my body up pretty heavily and Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I just, stopping gave me a lot of time to do other stuff and you know but it, it it took on a whole other level of stress I've noticed because now instead of chasing my own salary and a little bit more beyond that for some help yeah um, I'm chasing two people's salary and enough for me too <laughs> I mean, correct
1: you got to find so numbers, but it's I don't know yeah but I, I like that part more
3: yeah it is it gets exciting you know like i have i have more vans and tools than i need right now um and i just need the right the right you know person to step in and pick up some more work that we can get done and you know but it's hard to find i mean i've you know like it's just hard we can go on and on about it
2: correct
1: you
3: know there's it can feel depressing. I can see, like it's just like, oh, really? Like, where am I going to find this person? And...
1: Well, it's not. It's just like I'm. It's just so frustrating to like know that you have something that would work and you can't. Like, I, I keep getting to the same point, and then I'm like almost there, and it falls apart. And I'm mm-hmm. almost
2: there, and it
1: falls apart. And it, it's so frustrating to. Have built this thing as I've built it so far, and then not be able to like conquer this hurdle. Yeah. And, and, and I'm just, like I said, I'm not. It's funny
3: as you say that, it just sounds like the process to me. It's like, well, that's just the process, Kyle. You build it and then it falls apart, and then you build it again and then it falls apart because you got to see where it's falling apart, you know? It's it like, is. It that's is. That's how it's it nice. is. As you get better with doing floors in particular, you really realize it's like this is why it was successful and this is why it wasn't yeah and 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 it has a lot more to do with um taking the time to do the steps correctly because you're always you know want to just get in and do it and get the money and get out and be happy with the client and whatnot but you have to take all that time to you know get the right material there get it in right you know make some clients happy not mouth off but also keep your keep your bounds with people like i've definitely said things to clients where, you know, probably didn't look too well, didn't look too good to my, you know, people working with me. But, you know, in the end, it's like, you know, if someone's going to be constantly badgering us about stuff and being all picky, I'm going to say that to them to the point where it lightens it up. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not going to like, you know, make them feel bad about it. But, you know, like I've had clients that were like, I'm like, you know what, you're being really picky and you just got to let us finish our stuff. I'm like, yeah, you're doing a good job. I'm like, I know, but we got to finish and get out of
1: here. <laughs> Can you step aside? Correct. You know, it's... I'm with you. You have to like there's there's a growing that needs to happen, and honestly, like I I know why I'm stuck, and it, it's me that has to grow. But I don't, you know, you don't want to admit that to yourself when you built all these other successful areas. Mm. But I'm on, like, I just lost guy number, uh, like attempt number four at having the guy that could do it, and yeah. it was it. He needed to go because he just wasn't reliable. Like he like every four or five days he, he had to call in uh, car trouble. I'm sick. I, I just, something always coming up. Um, and you yeah. can build a company around that. Like, uh, how can I tell you, like, here's the truck, here's the trailer, there's the house, be there at seven. And you're calling me at, you know, seven thirty saying I'm broke down on the side of the road. Like I, I can't have that. So each with each guy, like I've learned how to train a little bit better i learn how to hire a little bit better. And that's that's really what it comes down to is, like, I stuck in my position and I still have learning to do. Like, I have to learn how to hire better. I have to learn how to manage better. I have to learn not to micromanage. Um, I have to learn how to train better, have, like, a proper system, uh, a, a repeatable way of we're going to do it this way every time. But it, it just, like, I don't know, man. I just got in a place where, like, it was easier to beat myself up and not be motivated about anything. And then it just, you know, it spirals because you, you get stuck in that. I don't, it's not a trap, but you, you get stuck in that mindset. Mm-hmm. And, it, and you just keep, it goes further and further and further down. So
3: Yeah. I mean, if you're going to work primarily alone, you really have to, like, build in time off every month. You know, like a long weekend for sure every month and, and a full week every, like, three months or something because, you know, you just have to. Yeah,
1: and I think that was it was that, like, honestly, it was my best January, February, March I've ever had. Like, usually those months are slow for me. Mm-hmm. And I came back from Christmas vacation. and I was just getting my butt handed to me. It was, like, usually, like, June, July, August are, like, swamp for me. And that's how my January, February, March went. Was I was running around like it was the summer, and I couldn't mm-hmm. keep up with everything. It was, it, I had bid to do. I had projects to get done. They were going sideways and taking longer than they should because there was extra work to do. But mm-hmm. I had deliveries to get out there. And, like, it just – everything was compounding on top of itself. And then it just, like,
2: you get fed up with it. And
1: then I got stuck in this – just – Mood and it
3: spiraled, and yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's hard when you don't got someone around you to kind of like pick up slack in a way that you can count on. It gets it's triply hard. It's just like, yeah, like I feel like I have a lot of support around me, um, for the amount like I feel like we have too much work a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. I, I should be jumping in and doing more, but um, I'm just I I need to slow down and only step in where I'm effective because I step in a very chaotic way. I'm like a whirlwind of craziness, I noticed. (laughs) And it just takes off. Like, like I like to give the people that work for me a lot of space to, you know, learn and make their own mistakes and get excited about the project going correctly and incorrectly because I got a business partner now. Yeah. You know, like I'm literally having to, you know, ask myself a lot of questions about what that means, you know, for myself and for him, you know, mm-hmm. as it's going in, cause I'm not that type of person because we've always operated on a very much a partnership level, but he worked for me as an employee W2 for a long, long time. And then I just changed that, but I know that he's going to run the business in his own way and a much different person. Um, and when I come in and I can't be like, do this, do this, be like that, it wasn't working at all. And I just, yeah. Respect. I'm going to be full hands off and mistakes are going to come as they always do. And they're going to be the ones that he saw as they were happening and and having to go back and, and, and fix. And then there's going to be successes that he's going to see all the way through and really remember them, you know, because I feel like I'm constantly on top of all of that and trying to be really kind of like, this is how we're going to do it. And I'm constantly pushing new ways and new things and, You know, I need that to be, for the company to grow bigger, I need him to get that entrepreneurial, I'm going to figure it out, type attitude, and without me being like, it's yours, Um, I'm not here for the next week, and it's your project, and it goes how it goes, you know, and I'll be here to help support, obviously, I want it to go really well, if you need something, call me up, right? Um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a real kind of learning thing for me. And I realized that honestly, the best way was to, just if I trust them, I better trust them fully Correct. because I'm going to have to deal with any mistake that I make or they make in the process. So, you know, it's finding good people, man. It's so hard. I got really lucky, you know, last year I had this guy just fall in my lap. It was just, he's better than I ever thought I could possibly be doing witch wars. And uh, we got all this new equipment and everything, and it's just, like, it's a huge relief. So, like, hearing you make that video, I was just like, man, I can really see he's, like, right in the thick of this, like, chaotic mess of, uh every time I close my eyes, all I think about is the sequence of the next three weeks, and yeah. then I got to break it down to tomorrow, because I don't want to mess that up.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Correct. I just, it was, I don't know. I don't I... <clears throat> know. I felt better since I've made that video and like got it off my chest. And I think that's
2: one of the reasons why
1: I do what I do is that I I think it's one, I'm, I'm really curious about business. So that's why I started my podcast and my group on like how to run a better business. But I, I think there's a lot of stuff that's left unsaid and people feel like they're on their own. And that's not, that's not the case. You know, I've met a really awesome community of people by doing flooring And it's nice to see the honesty come out and the, and the struggles and see that, Hey, I'm not alone in this. Like there's other people going through what I'm going through and there's other people that have, have gotten through it. And this is what they did. And so you can, not only can you speed up your learning curve, but you can, you know, it's okay. Like it's, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to screw up. It's it's okay to, feel depressed sometimes like you don't have to always wear this this face of I'm the perfect entrepreneur and i'm gonna you know everybody look at what I'm doing because it's still so amazing like, that's not that's not real that's not how no. it works no, it, it's in the
3: it's in the messing up and the fixing that you learn so Correct. Yeah
2: we always
1: see people's lives from the outside, right? Like you can go and look at your neighbors and and they've got the fancy car and they've got the bigger house and the bigger yard and the
2: two kids
1: that are, you know, varsity sports teams and like whatever, you know, whatever picture it is that you're seeing, but you're not in there behind closed doors. Like you don't know what those kids are thinking in their head and what's happening in that marriage and, and whatnot. Like it's, we get so hung up on, on what people see. And I, that's one reason why I like being so honest. It's like, I have been pretty fortunate in, in my,
2: in the building of my
1: business and what I've been able to create over a few short years and how I've kind of built my name in this industry to just be recognized as someone that's trying to make it better.
3: Yeah. But,
1: I want everyone to see that like, Hey, look what it looks like from the outside. Isn't what's going on on the inside. Like this, this is all happening, but I have the same struggles as all of you. I've just maybe made a decision or two that's helped put me in a different position.
2: One other
3: question here. So so whatever you had to like let go of to grow your business, you know, and like your craft and doing installs and stuff.
2: Um.
1: Let go of. Uh, I'm horrible at time management with my family, <laughs> so <laughs> I that that they they have taken a back seat, which isn't something I'm necessarily proud of. But it's like I I'm trying to build something that will take care of us forever, and so in my head it's like if I sacrifice a little something now, we'll have more later. That may not be the right decision, but that's, I, I think that's something that I definitely like.
3: you got to have a good perspective on when that later is, I think.
1: Correct. Because um, I think in
3: any business you grow, you got to know what you want out of it. It seems like you want a little bit more than just a job and a job for someone else to do and then make you a bit of money.
1: Yeah, I, there's there's all kinds of stuff going on. I actually I want to own like a, a retail store that does like five to ten million a year.
2: Yeah. So
1: multiple crews, multiple salespeople, like pretty, you know, a, a a pretty big business for at least like a. I mean, Phoenix is a big market. I'm not looking to be like an empire or a workroom for Lowe's or anything like that. But I think five to ten million would be a healthy flooring business
3: yeah no it's yeah revenue numbers I've noticed particularly this last few years are fluctuate like crazy, especially if you throw materials in them correct um you know labor is one thing, but yeah
1: so um yeah I mean you're right there's there's definitely a a limit to what can happen and i'm I'm trying to get better at saying okay hey i need to I need to stop or I need to pay attention over here and and do this yeah
3: and
1: it's all it's all a learning curve so
3: I've got yeah, that. I fully get distracted by so many things and feel like I don't start them a lot. <laughs> I mean, I don't even, like, like, I don't know, I'm just, I mean, Lord, I, like, listening to you is the reason why I ended up listening to so many other podcasts. Somebody on one of your podcasts mentioned some Mind Shift podcast, and then it, like, just spiraled into all these other podcasts, and then I was like, I'll make a podcast, and now I'm interviewing you, which <laughs> is <just> weird. <laughs>
1: you know? yeah where do I want to invest my time and how like I don't have to invest as much time into learning the trade anymore. Like I have a lot of that stuff down and it's not that there's not still things I need to learn, but I don't have to spend as much time learning manufacturer specs and standards and things like that anymore. Like I, I have that stuff down. So now I can invest my time elsewhere. So it's how do I grow my business? How do I market better? How do I advertise? How do I hire better? How do I,
2: Better, the key right? is, what the key that
1: is the,
3: is the people, the people to get it all done. It's, that's a,
1: that's a very big thing on a podcast I listen to is they, they talk about who, not how.
3: Yeah, exactly. It, it's just that it, every time I think about all these ideas I have, I'm like, wow, that seems so easy. I would just need someone to do it. <laughs> that's
1: correct. You got to find the who, not the how.
3: Yeah. Um, all right. there's a couple of questions here I wanted to ask you. Let me find them here. Um, so, what's something that sparked your interest in the last month?
2: Um, man,
1: probably nothing really.
2: Like I said, dude,
1: I've been super down. I'll, I'll be honest, like, I haven't been, like, dude, I haven't advertised for my business in, like, a month, so, like, the calls event coming in is heavy. I haven't gone and done it. I, I think I'm going to do my first bid Tuesday evening for, like, the, it, it, for the first time in, like, two or three weeks. Um, I've been, like, vegging out watching anime on my computer when I get home, mm-hmm. so there hasn't been much of, like, any spark to do <laughs> anything. It's been like veg out and and just do do nothing.
3: That's good. I feel like that's healthy after you know that long winter you had. And, you I,
1: I think I think I just needed something. Like I'm gonna yeah. like, I feel like a little bit more motivated now. I just I didn't need I don't need a spark right now. I need a I need to sit down and and do nothing. But then I, I say that, I guess, I don't know, like a couple of weeks ago, I sat down and I tried to write an article for one of the magazines. I got to reach out and see if they'll want it from me. So like, it's not, it's stuff that I've talked about on the podcast before on my podcast, but it's like, it needs to be out in more places. So I, I, I guess the spark was if I'm going to try and be a difference in the industry that like, I need to be in more places than just my podcast. And and on Facebook groups, like I need to try and start getting into magazines. Um, I'm supposed to give a couple talks at surfaces this year, so like I I guess that was the spark was I'm trying to develop a bigger platform.
2: Hmm.
3: Yeah. No, that's good. I like that. Um, and I want to ask you this question too. What's like the biggest risk that you've taken getting your business going? That you can think of.
1: I guess risk to get my business going. Um, I operated for like nine months not being licensed or insured.
2: <laughs> in yeah. state,
1: which is against the law. Um, I, I I think just honestly, like once I got I got I got fired, and that was really like the kick to go out on my own. Was I was like getting ready to, when I was trying to get everything in place before I did it. And once again, I went running my mouth about stuff. So I got, I got fired. Um, Just putting myself out there. Like I honestly, man, some of those early floors I did, they're done well and they're not going to like fail, but they could have been done so much better. Mm -hmm. And if there was people that like sadly, like a lot of homeowners, man, they just don't know what they're looking at. And so they think stuff is good. Um.
3: Yeah, I've had to point things out that I didn't like in our finishing process and go back and tell them I'm scheduling a, a refinish of that room. They're like, why? I'm like, this little thing here, you see that I don't like it, it's coming out. <laughs> yeah, I just it, need to schedule it. And they're like, okay.
1: Yeah, I, well, I just did that the other day. Like, there was a part of the floor that was, like, clicking mm-hmm. on the final plank, and it, like, it wasn't a big deal. It was fine. Nothing was ever going to happen to it. And the client was like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Just don't, don't worry about it. And I was like, I couldn't leave well enough alone. And so I went and I was trying to fix it and and make things happen. And I cracked the plank. And then I had to replace. It turned from replacing one board into replacing four boards. And it just like, you know, I couldn't leave well enough alone. and But now, like, it's done the way I want it done. But it took way longer than it should have taken. So there's just, like, you don't know when to. You're, you're probably like me and you nitpick your own work and you're your own worst critic. So it ends up. Yeah. All, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, it's
3: a, it's a balancing act of moving on and doing, doing it to the standard that you're okay with. Cause correct. that standard is, you know, we're basically like, it like you're being an artist, so it's, that's fluctuating, you know, your standard. So it's, it's kind of, it's in, in in your life, you know, all these stresses that come into it. Sometimes you just got to, Spend some time with the family and move on, you know. hmm. And uh, but yeah, I I I think you know all flooring guys think about randomest things, the weirdest times.
1: Yeah, I don't uh, know. I think I guess I, I feel just going and installing a floor any day of the week is a risk. Like I think that's the biggest risk is like mm. with the way the manufacturer standards are set and you know what we have to get floors to go do to like work and and function. And then you're operating on all these other people's standards. And it's not that we can't achieve them, but at the end of the day, man, everything's written to like throw the the installer under the bus. So uh, the Mm -hmm. biggest risk is just showing up every day.
2: Mm -hmm. It's true.
3: Yeah. I do feel like a lot of times I'm like, Oh yeah, we, we definitely take a brunt of, of, that we're supposed to know all, all, everything and get it in correctly. Yeah, there's a, a lot. And then there's actually not even, I don't know, especially in stand and finish. I've gone, I've talked to a lot of people about just the whole plugging in of 220. It's just insane to me that it's not regulated nationally. Yeah. Because it's, you know, I literally watched my dad almost die when I was eight years old from electricity. hmm and I get into a career where I'm like, hmm, this could kill a lot of people. It does when you look.
2: Yes, (laughs) Yes, it does. You can
1: hook up that machine. Like, I I don't luckily have to deal with that. If I did, honestly, I would be going and... Well, the older homes don't have the dryer plugs that you can plug into for 220 a lot of times, and that's the problem. That's why these guys have to hook up in the boxes. they're in these older homes that don't have 220 hooked up. So, I Yeah. Is there a way that you can... uh, you can hook up to like two different circuits of one twenty, and it, it pulls it together. Is there like a yeah?
3: You thing? can, but it's a mess. The best way is to go directly into the panel. In drop, a, drop a fuse in. you your
1: own. yeah, All right. yeah.
3: I mean, I'm That's running good. like two to three two twenty setups. You know, like a vacuum yeah. and two sanders that are both two twenty. So
1: okay, yeah, you know,
3: it's just understandable.
1: The, yeah, we're
3: pulling a lot of amperage, and it's just. It's crazy, so but it's just it's an interesting thing to me that I've noticed right from the beginning when I got my license and everything. I was like, "Really, you guys want us all to hire electricians to do this?" Okay.
1: <laughs> it's correct. You're gonna, you know. I mean, you can if if that's what's recommended. Like you should, but it's. I mean, it's, I think you're better. It, yeah, you will. It's the thing is, is imagine
3: scheduling an electrician to come plug you in and plug you out. Just scheduling them, and not let alone paying them.
2: Well, you would have – yeah, you're going to be scheduling weeks
1: in advance, and you're going to have to tell them, I need you – you know, you could have them there a couple of days before. Like, he can meet with Mr. or Mrs. Homeowner and, and add the stuff into the box so that you can just plug in. But, yeah, I mean – That's true. That's it's true. Nice but it
3: just, it's just it's, 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 – it's, I feel like when you pull a flooring license and you want to be a stand-and-finish crew, you should have another certificate that says, I know how to – open that panel and plug in my thing or I'm gonna only go into a dryer. But even then you're you're relying on the wires that are in the wall, which scares me a little, you know, sometimes.
1: Oh yeah. Well I mean the way these homes are built these days.
3: Man, yeah. I-
1: I don't trust anybody's work except my own. And I don't even know if I trust my work sometimes.
3: Yeah, you got this dryer plug. They've been running a dryer on for a while. And then you're going to plug in a sander that's going to be drawing at a different rate and maybe fluctuating because it's getting bogged down in places. And then and those wires are running in the wall. I don't know how those connections are. I know how the connection from the main is to the panel. So yeah. It's it's such a crazy thing. I feel like I've always avoided electricity because of what happened to my dad, and then the older I get, I'm like, I need to learn everything about it and why I will kill you.
1: <laughs> oh, um, I mean, it's you, it's I very interesting. It, it's easier to work with. That's the thing. Huh. What's that? If you, if you understand it, it's easier to work with.
3: It is. It scares you. It doesn't scare you at a certain point. You just have to say, okay, I turn this off, I turn this on. I plug in here, I plug in that. Don't touch, don't ever touch that, even when you think it might be not, you know, like just all these things. that You just have to really like electricians are interesting people. I talk to them a lot whenever I see them on job sites, and they're always super like, um, you know, they can tell the best stories, you know. <laughs> I've noticed,
1: <laughs> okay. Well, I'll keep that in mind,
3: I... yeah. Keep that in mind if, if they're in a good mood and they got some time,
1: yeah yeah
3: anyways um i'm gonna go to the last question uh so what do you find to be your purpose so far in life here Ooh.
1: um what is my purpose i don't know right now i just want to be able to make the industry that i participate in better from the ground up um I think installers get taken advantage of a lot of times because they, they're the, the traditional lookout, right. Is that people that have hand skills, if you, if you look at like what would happen back in the day when there was actually vocational training in school, right? Like it's the, the bad kid, the dumb and can't do math is like the, the auto mechanic and he's really good. Right. So there's this, I don't know not a stipulation, I can't think of the word, a a stigma on people Mm -hmm. that are good with hand skills, that they're dumb. And I don't think that's the case. I think they just have to be taught in a different way, per se. And so people, the minute you start even subcontracting for somebody, you're still running a business. I think a lot of times guys think if they're not out there selling all their own jobs and stuff, they're not running a business. And even if you're subcontracting for a store, you're running a business and you need to know how to run that business. You need to know what it's costing you to do it. If you're being profitable, how much you can get done in a day and and what you should charge to do that work in a day. And so I, you know, I'm not great at flooring. I'm not great at business, but I definitely, I think I have a better understanding of the numbers and I was able to come in and, and see a bunch of people, in the industry, in these Facebook groups, I joined about flooring saying, Hey, we all need to do better. We need to charge more. You need to, you need to understand what's going on with your business. And I, I latched onto that and I, and I really believe in it. I think you, you need to have that information. And so that's, I want to help strengthen the flooring industry from the bottom up
0: because Mm -hmm. I don't
1: see it coming from the top in many places. The, The manufacturers aren't out there trying to educate installers. So if we're not going to stand up for ourselves, then I, I don't know who is. And that's, uh, you know, that's that's like my mission right now is to build a better base for the industry. And, you know, when you when you hire new people, I want to be able to not only teach them the trade, but the business. Because a lot of times people get hired and then they they go out on their own, but nobody ever taught them business. So now they go out and they don't think they're worth what you were making and they start lowballing and like it's just it's this never ending cycle of everything gets diminished generation by generation. And That's true. there's there's not a lot of people looking to be flooring installers right now, and I can tell you that it can pay very well, but if you ask a lot of most installers, they'll tell you it doesn't pay very well. And I, I would instantly disagree. And you can, you know, it's it's funny, I see things for, like, um, you'll see people talk about, like, how schools need to bring back trades training, or these are the best trades jobs to get into. Never once on any of these lists do I ever see flooring put in mm-hmm. there, right? It's, like, plumber, electrician, framer, um, you, you see, they'll even have, they'll have, like, uh brick layer in there is like you never see flooring guys mentioned and so it just feels like we're expected to be a commodity at this point instead of like a respected trade and i want to help try and bring respect back to this trade
3: yeah no i i, I totally see what you're talking about i feel like there's the yeah, other someone standing in a room kind of standing on the floor looking at all the whole house being like oh yeah everything's perfect here you know you can get a job doing the plumbing and electrical and the framing and the roof we need all that and they're standing on the floor and they walk up a house and don't let you know like hey you do the floors too you're you're gonna need the floors and they could be you know so many different yeah it's actually one of the most artistic you know finish works in the house i agree it's it's you know you can you can really mess around with it. You can blow the budget. You can save money. You know, you can do all kinds of things with the floor.
1: Well, that's that's my biggest complaint with it, is that <clears throat> everyone starts doing these home remodels, right? And they're like, Okay, I gotta redo my kitchen, I gotta redo my bathroom, I'm gonna get paint, I'm gonna mm-hmm. redo trim work, I'm gonna get solid doors, like they start putting money in all these different places and then they get to the end and they're like, Oh, floors. Um Well, whatever, it'll be fine.
3: Yeah, they just start trying to find the cheapest material and the cheapest install, and then...
1: Correct, but when you start uh, to look... The way I talk to my clients about it, right, is I'm like, okay, hold on. What are we standing on right now? What do you walk on all day as you move through your house? I was like, think about how much you're on your floor versus how many times you open and close your cabinets.
2: Yeah.
1: How often do you sit there and really look at, like, Is the paint on your wall nice? Like you're gonna notice your paint when they paint it, and then you're gonna forget about it. But if something happens with your floor in the next five years, you are going to be livid. Like it's we use them so much; they are they are a part of our lives, and they get they just nobody respects them, and it's, it's a shame. It's it's really like I said; it's become a commodity instead of this like craftsman thing and it's not the way it is
3: yeah and it's like as a legit business owner you really have to charge a good amount to be able to pay people that want to stick around long enough that it's worth it for you to have them there to pay them well enough
2: and the future
3: of it all and then that they could do a good job for the client and it's like it's hard to figure out what that number is you know for me it's pretty high where i am but um it's just kind of it is, it's a big problem. I'm glad you're working on it. You know, you're, you're, you're and I feel like it has the potential to get a lot better. Um, but I, I think agree. a lot of it is just, yeah, it's like, like I've been raising my rates and I can definitely tell some clients are like, wow. But, um, I need to, to, to pay the people yeah. that are good at it and willing to, to commit to me, you know what I mean?
2: Correct. But
1: it also makes a difference when you actually have them on payroll and you're matching taxes and you're, you know, giving them paid time off and benefits and, you know, they have a 401k plan or an IRA plan or whatever it is that you set up, right? Like, all these benefits that they can go and get at McDonald's aren't offered by most contractors because they want a 1099 item and say, figure it out yourself.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like, a lot of contractors are really are kind of stuck in a certain kind of quarterly loop, like, Oh, I got to make money this quarter, this quarter, this quarter. And, and and like, it creates this environment where people don't want to stick around, you know, like I'm pretty close with all the flooring guys around me and I can call on them and we can get big projects done really fast. And there's a few, I wouldn't mind poaching, but, um, you know, like it's it took me a while to actually really create that, you know, I think when I first started out, I was very much just head down. I do my work, you do your work, you know, and and, uh, I don't have time and energy to really be calling you and asking you what's going on or whatever, but, you know, pandemic podcasts and all these things help a lot, but, you know, reaching out just to your local people and asking them how they're doing and, teaming up on projects can make you money, you yep. know, it's, it's you different. And it, yeah, it takes a lot off your shoulders.
2: Correct. And, it, and you you kind of, go
1: ahead. Uh, well, so if you're building a community, right. Instead of thinking of everybody as your competition, which man, there's more than enough work to go around for everybody. Like yeah. if you're in a, you're not in a huge area in California, you know, like I know it's not as populated as Arizona, but there's still like a good population around, you know, it's not yeah. super rural and there's one home like every five miles down the road or whatever. So yeah, yeah. It, it's, I can understand like a rural community being super cutthroat and like not wanting to partner up with somebody, but even then like you find the right project and maybe you need to, it's, yeah. it's, it's better to have friends than enemies.
3: Yeah, and then when you get that good rapport with someone, you guys can actually legitimately tell each other what your rates are and kind of stick to them, you know. Which, you know, it's kind of a that that's where because I know that it's hard to figure out what the next person is charging, really, you know. And I and I might throw a number out that's crazy, in the wrong direction, low or high, and I don't know, you know.
1: Yeah, and I don't think it's look. Everybody's business is is different. It's all going to be based on what your numbers need to be but there
3: is
2: a,
1: there's a, there's a range that's going to be considered normal. You know, for Phoenix, we have, I can go on Craigslist and find a a guy to remove my ceramic tile right now for 90 cents a square foot. But he's going to come in, he's going to put a bunch of divots in my concrete slab. And it's not all the fence. That's not going to be up at the end of the day. And my house is going to be left a dusty mess. I charge three fifty and have dustless equipment. So like it's, is that
2: guy making yeah. money
1: for how he's doing it? Heck yeah, he is. Is it good money? No, he's going to be able to eat today and have to go work again tomorrow. I'm going to be able to pay somebody to help me do it, dispose of everything. I'll have some profit left over, and I you know, I can take my kids out for ice cream a couple times.
3: It's yeah, easy. and you have no dust in your lungs and nose. I got my well, sanding yeah. outfit all dust free, and I bought all this deck equipment that's just totally dusty
1: <laughs>
2: but it's, we'll see yeah
1: it's you know it, there's there's always going to be a range of of prices and i don't mind being at the top it doesn't it doesn't no. bother me i i i think for what i deliver and, and what other people deliver like they need to push themselves more but that's why those conversations need to happen and people need to stop being afraid of of talking about it like Dude, I don't care what you charge, charge whatever you want. I know, I know a company that's charging a dollar 75, a linear foot to pull and replace baseboard or put up new baseboard. I charge three fifty. Like if that's what works for you and you're able to make money and you feel good, go ahead and do it. I mm-hmm. find people that are willing to pay my rates. There's, there's always somebody and it's, you know, people are like, Oh, you're so expensive. Like you're twice as much as the next bid. Okay. That's that's fine. We can move on. I'm not putting a gun to anybody's head to make them go with me. I've been able to sell them the value that I offered and they made the decision on their own to go with me.
2: So, yeah.
1: it's you know, people, you're ripping them off. No, I'm not. Like I didn't make them go with me.
3: No, it's all like we are We need to get to a place where we can hire people to to continue doing it the way that that we have set up. Otherwise it's in essence, not a business. It's a job that you have until your body wears out.
1: Exactly. And, and then
3: you have a bunch of tools that you sell for not very much, you exactly. know?
1: And it, it takes money to do all of that. And so if I'm not charging appropriately, then how do I, how do I do that? You know, I don't get a, I don't get a retirement plan. So if you don't pay me more money now, like how do I get to retire? I don't want to be doing floors when I'm 75 years old. I mean, okay, if I had – if if I could do floors when I was 75 years old and feel good about it because I hadn't abused my body for the past 40 years, that's a different story. But I yeah. choose to go and do it at that point. I'm not forced to do
3: it. So exactly.
1: I, I want to be able to charge enough money that I can live comfortably after I've abused my body. Yeah. And I don't know that a lot of people get that. So that's the. Yeah. And
3: hire people to give them the same opportunity to where they can work and either move on to their own career or work and have a nice stable job. And hopefully you can set up some sort of good retirement and the economy stays together. So, I mean, I feel like you've got your, your purpose kind of working, working on it pretty heavily here. So.
1: We'll see. Time will tell. (laughs) Time will tell. All right.
3: Well, I think we'll leave it there, Kyle. I suppose we've been talking for a long time and um, but it was good talking with you, man. I'm sure a lot of people yeah, are going to enjoy listening to it.
1: Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. And it was nice to be like interviewed instead of the one doing the interviewing.
3: Yeah. It was funny. Cause when you interviewed me, I was like, I kept wanting to turn the tables on you and interview you. And I had to like spite myself not to do it. I was
1: like, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Now you got it.
3: <laughs> All right. Cool, man. Thanks.
2: We'll talk to you later. Okay, Bye. bye. Bye.